Well, it's been a great day already at Graceport. Was those baptisms fun or what? So, so fun. I wish you could also be back to, backstage. We have a whole team of, on our baptism team back there. They do such a wonderful job. Make sure everyone's face story is clear and that they have trusted in Jesus. And then backstage, you got high fives, hugs, tears going on. And, and uh, just so, so pleased that God, in both service today, really a demographics all across the different types of demographics of our church uh, went public with their faith today. Can we just give God thanks for what he's doing in our church? And uh, someone on our, our baptism team told me two people are ready to register for the next one in February. So uh, that, that, is, that is fantastic. Well, if you're joining us today, we are in the closing stretch uh, this week and next week in our series, Walking Through the Book of Genesis. And the theme that we've been focusing on is the timeless truth found in this first, first book of the Bible. It's really God's redemptive story that started in the Garden of Eden. Now he's, and God was, God's relationship with mankind as a whole, but the last part of Genesis is God's relationship with individual people who have faith in Him and telling their stories and so many things we can learn from their stories and their faith journey as well. Today we're going we're gonna to tackle a very challenging and sometimes difficult truth about God and that God is sovereign. We're going to talk about the sovereignty of God today, and I'll explain what it is and why it's so hard for us human beings to really, truly, really wrestle with this whole theological truth. So go ahead and take your Bibles if you have a copy of God's Word. Turn to Genesis 37. 37. It, th- this is so unique that the last 14 chapters, God is using the story of primarily one individual by the name of Joseph. Uh, we heard about him as a kid, but everything changed when he was 17 years old. And if you look at all through Scripture, how many times God has greatly used teenagers uh, in, in the faith story, their faith story, and the journey. And we're going to see that today. But before we get to the passage we're going to begin with uh, in, in chapter 37, got to give you some backstory. Uh, Joseph was the baby of the family. How many babies of the family do I see? Could you put your hand up? All right, how many of you leverage that position for your benefit? Okay, you're like, I'm a proud baby. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work it as much as possible. Well, Joseph did that. He was the baby and he had 10 older brothers. All the moms are like, oh Lord. Uh, that, that, imagine the food, the mess, the fights. Joseph was the baby. Now, his dad, Jacob, we talked about that last week, his parents played favorites between him and Esau. And the poison of favoritism leaked into uh, Jacob and how he, he parented his boys. He chose Joseph to be his favorite. And he, and he modeled it in front of the other boys, and it began as a frustration, and it, would, would, it grew into hatred against, against Joseph. So Joseph was the spoiled baby, father's pet, and the father loved him so much that he made for him, or had made for him, a coat of many colors. Now, you got to understand, he didn't go down and order it online or go down to Kohl's or somewhere and buy it. Back in that day, to have fabric that was colored the dye that was, would, would color fabric, that was a very expensive uh, process, and that coat of many colors was very expensive. So Joseph receives 
a, a coat and his 10 brothers did not. How would you feel if you were one of them? Well, that bugged him. And, and then he grew up and, and he lacked discernment. He, he was immature. And probably in his early teenagers, he, he'd gather his brothers around and say, hey, I just had this dream. I think it's a really cool dream. I'm sure you're going to love it too. Let me tell you my dream. He told them the dream. And at the end of that dream, all 10 of the brothers in the dream were bowing down to him. And he thought that was awesome. And they were like, shut up. You know, like, like, you're going to rule over us? You know, I was like, just the irritation was growing. Then he had another dream sometime later. He said, hey, guys, I had another dream. You're going to love it because I loved it. And the end of the dream, different, a different dream, all 10 of them are bowing down to him. And they, just, they began to become bitter of how he was treated and his arrogance and his lack of discernment. And he began to grow. But up until 17, he didn't go out with them where they would take all the herds and, and rotate them for weeks or months at a time out in the field, camping out. He stayed at home, you know, in, in the air conditioning and heated tents. I don't know if they had air conditioning, but he stayed home with, you know, as the baby. No, 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 we, you know, because it's scary out there. We, we wouldn't want anything to happen to Joseph. And he stayed there. I'm sure that added to their frustration and growing bitterness of we're doing all the work and he does nothing. But at age 17, his dad said, I think it's time for you to join your brothers. And he went out with them as they rotated their, their herds. And he came back and he told on his brothers to their dad. Let me, dad, let me tell you all the things they did wrong. Now they're, they're, they're beginning to hate him. Hate him. And then they went out on their next trip and he stayed home. And they thought, great, you know, tattletalers, stay at home. And then while they were out, uh, Jacob went to, to Joseph and said, hey, what I want you to do, I want you to go find your brothers, find out how they're doing, and come back and report to me how they're doing. Now we pick up on the story when they see Joseph coming towards them. Chapter 37, uh, verse 17. Verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham, but they saw him in a distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him, not pants him, not TP him, not flush his head in the toilet. Oh, we went way, way beyond that. They said, let's kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into a cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. And here comes the mercy, here comes their compassion. And, they, and he said, after all, he is our brother. Our own flesh and blood and his brothers agreed. Hey, you know what? Let's not kill Joey. Let's just sell him. 
because he is our brother, you know. And they did. They sold their brother, told, came, when they came home, they told their dad, hey, yeah, we found this, this coat of many colors, had blood all over, looked like a wild animal, killed him, devastated Jacob. But on that day, Joseph's life flipped upside down in a moment. He went from being a favored son to now in a, living in a foreign land with a foreign country, foreign customs. He had no family. They were all gone. He was out by himself as a now slave. And he could very easily, he could have very easily said, I am a victim of injustice, because he was. It was unjust what they did. It was, this, that's not fair. That wasn't fair. I mean, he was a pest, but really a life of slavery? Where are you, God? I mean, he could have every normal, logical, human reaction and emotion of this is not fair. I'm a victim of injustice. And he could have had that. Now let's jump over to chapter 39. Chapter 39. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now look at these first five words. The Lord was with Joseph. Humanly speaking, you're like, no, he wasn't. He wasn't with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, the Lord that allowed him to be sold into slavery and leave his family. I'm sure, humanly speaking, Joseph said, no, 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 if the Lord was with me, I would be at, back at home in the tents with my family and my brothers would be slaves in Egypt. That would be the Lord was with me. It's a very interesting word, the Lord. In the Old Testament, God is often referred to as God and God Almighty. But God designed and inspired it to be the Lord the ruler, the one in control, was with him. Let's pick up, uh, what did I leave off at? Let's look at verse six, let's verse six. So Potiphar left everything he had and uh, put it in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Joey, come to bed with me. Joey, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, hint, hint, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I mean, the God that he that uh, he read about in the Bible? No, there was no Bible. Uh, the God that he learned about in Sunday school as a child? There, there was no Sunday school. The God that he learned about when he went to church? There were no churches. 
The God he learned about listening to worship songs, there were no worship songs. Joseph only knew about God by word of mouth stories from his dad, from his grandfather, Isaac, and from his great-grandfather, Abraham. Word of mouth, stories. That's how he knew about God. And he was like, how can I sleep with you and sin against the God who allowed me to be sold into slavery? That took me from my family. Put me in a foreign country where everything's brand new. That God. That God. Let's pick up. Verse 10. Verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, Joey, sleep with me. He refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. And one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak, that's an outer jacket, and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of her house. He left, he took off. So Pharaoh comes, I mean, I'm sorry, Potiphar comes home. Potiphar's wife who's been rejected time and time again, she was scorned. Watch out for someone who is scorned. And she made up a story that uh, while you were gone, Joseph, that Jewish slave boy that you brought into my house, he tried to force himself on me, and I screamed, and he ran out, and see, he left some clothes behind. Verse 19, when his master heard the story his wife told him, and saying, this is how, this is how your, your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, there it is again, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he, made, uh, he, he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. The Lord was with him. The same sovereign ruler who allowed him to be sold into slavery, slavery, who took him from his friends and family and all the comforts of home, who put him in a foreign country with a foreign language and culture and all that. Now he's in a foreign home. Now he's accused, falsely accused of attempted rape. And now he finds himself in prison and his best friend is the prison warden. Everybody needs a best friend who's a prison warden. And the Lord was with him? Really? Seriously? Which leads us to our timeless truth today that we're going to drill down on. It's this. The sovereignty of God is difficult for us to understand. The sovereignty of God is difficult for us human beings to understand. Here is why. It's because you and I, we only 
understand our life and circumstances in our life through one dimension. One dimension. The word dimension, if you look it up, out from that definition, there's a word measure or measurement. We measure life and circumstances through one dimension. We measure life and circumstances through the dimension of um, I know this, I've seen this, I've heard that, I feel this way. That's one dimension in the moment, what we know, see, hear, and feel. That experience is through just one prism of one dimension. That's how we measure life. And if we gather all those, you know, one dimension of, of all that know, see, hear, feel, and put it through the, the one dimension filter, if, if everything is good, life is good at the moment. Let me worship God. But if it's hurt, pain, rejection, it's like all I know my life to be right now. And all the circumstances point to one thing, pain. So it's really hard when we're in a season of pain, and some of you have been in many seasons or a long, long season of pain. And that's why the under, to, to understand the theological truth that there is a sovereign God who is in control when everything in your life and all your emotions are out of control and you have fully just like, I, I've, been vi- I've been a victim. I've had horrible things happen to you. It's not fair. It's unkind. And I really, I'm going to struggle with a sovereign God who is in control when it doesn't feel that way. The reason why it's so hard is because we look through life and circumstances in one dimension. On the other hand, however, God views our life and our circumstances through his 3D divine dimensions. You see, in the, in the lifespan of Joseph, God knows exactly at that point in his life he knows he feels rejected, he feels pain, he feels loss, he's confused. God understands that. But God was way ahead of him. And in his divine dimension, he knew things that Joseph didn't know. He sees things that Joseph can't see. You know, he, he's, he knows even what Joseph's going to feel way down the road of his life because God is outside our, our one dimension. And that's why he is, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His timing is never our timing that I figured out. God's timing is never mine. And his dimension isn't ours. He is sovereign. He is in control because what God was doing, yes, Joseph, I know what you're going through now, but I'm way ahead of you. I'm actually decades ahead. God, in his sovereignty, was beginning to work things, move things around, perfectly position Joseph for the plans that God had, not only for Joseph, but for Joseph's family and Joseph's nation. But at 17 years old, when all this came crashing down, he, he didn't know, he couldn't see, couldn't, he didn't see all this, God did. All Joseph know that, knew that he was on the dusty road of a detour. Anybody like detours? I hate detours, all right? I'm on a schedule. All right, I'm on a plan, and this road's supposed to go straight. 
I've been on that road astray, now I can't go on that road. I have an attitude problem. You pray for your pastor, all right? Uh, <clears throat> but I'm sure that, that, that everybody's there with me, right? Detours are not fun. And Joseph, I mean, just, he's a real person. Don't forget these people are real people with real emotions and real thoughts and real emotions. He could have inaccurately come to the conclusion that his dusty detour meant that God had abandoned him. Because that was his perspective, especially when he's, you know, tied up and on a camel heading toward Egypt, a place he'd never been to before. Now he's there and it just looked like, I'm in, I've been abandoned by God. God was with my father. God was with my grandfather. God definitely was with my great-grandfather, but obviously I'm on my own. That would have been a very natural thing to think, but it would have been inaccurate because there is a sovereign God at work here. Let me illustrate this in this way. Why do you iron a wrinkled shirt? Some of you are like, I, I never, I'll just wear it. <laughs> and you wonder why no one dates you. <laughs> why do we iron a wrinkled shirt? Is because we have a plan to wear it and we want it looking nice. So we pull out a thing called an iron and we apply the appropriate heat and steam to iron that shirt. We're not being mean to that shirt. We're not trying to burn that shirt. We're applying the proper heat and steam so that the wrinkles would be removed because we have a plan to wear it and we want to look nice. Joseph's detour, had, he had no idea that God was choosing to put him on a detour, the dusty detour path that he was on, because God had a plan. God had a purpose, not just for Joseph, but for his family and for his nation, coming nation. God is sovereign. He is in control, and he is a God that always has a plan. But Joseph, his experience is like, my whole life is ruined. I'm at a dead end. I have no hope. There's no future. So let's go back to the sovereignty of God. I'm gonna drill down on this. That it is so hard for us as human beings to understand this. Again, we see things one dimension. We're not God. We don't have his divine 3D dimension. And, and let me give all of us a reality check by explaining what, this, what so, the sovereignty of God actually means. It means that God is sitting upon his throne as the Lord of his universe. And everything that happens, everything that happens in your life, lives of others around the world, everything that happens, God either directly causes it or divinely allows it. And that's hard for us to swallow. The whole sovereignty of God, we struggle with it. Why? Because we don't want anybody ruling over us. We don't want somebody telling us what to do. We don't want somebody saying, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to move divine chess pieces around and perfectly position people in place. No, no, we want, we want control. We want those choices. Now, God, with everything that happens, God directly causes it or divinely allows it. That doesn't mean God approves of everything that happens. But God can and often does, if he chooses, 
to take bad situations and bad stories and turn them for his glory and for our good. And sometimes the end of the story is not going to be written in this life. So let me give you, if you take a note, let me give you the definition of what the sovereignty of God means. The sovereignty of God means this. God exercises his prerogatives to do whatever he pleases with his creation. And that's where we kind of, oh, I don't know if I can swallow that. I don't know if I want to follow a God like that. I don't know if I want to place my faith in a God like that. That God does whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it to his creation? Yes. Because he is God and we are not. Uh, Psalms 24.1 says this, the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and every life who lives there. It all belongs to him. Now let me, let me explain this difficult concept in a practical way. If you would come over to my house and I would let you into my house and as soon as you got in, you looked at my floors and go, you know, that, those are... You kind of stain those pretty dark. I wouldn't have done that. I think you should, I think you should stain this color. I would begin having thoughts about you. And, and we walk down the hallway and you look at, uh, you know, look at the uh, colors on the wall. And you're like, you know what? I, I wouldn't have picked that color. In fact, have you, tried, have you thought about this color? That's what I would do. And then we go into the living room area and say, you know what? I would put the TV in a different place. In fact, I would have a larger TV, which I would agree with you. Right, men? No TV is ever too large. And, but you know what? I don't like those furniture. I, I wouldn't allow that furniture in my house. I'm having more thoughts in my head. And we go to, you know, to the dining room or the front room, and you're like, you know what? Um, I, you know, th those fur that furniture is okay, but I, I think you've misplaced it. I would move it. I would m arrange it differently. And while you're telling me all your opinions about what you're seeing, I'm having thoughts. One thought, probably not the first one, is, you know what, I have plans and I am still saving to make changes and, and, and re redo some things. And I have plans and in the right order, in the right time, with, when the money is saved, um, I will do that. But I'm not going to share that with you. I'm thinking those things. But the real thought I'm thinking is, you're telling me, I don't like this. I would change that. I would rearrange it this way. I'm thinking in my head with, head with all the love and mercy and grace inside of me, I'm thinking, I really don't care what you think because it's my house. Would you agree with that? Would you have the same feelings in your house? Absolutely. So, gut check, reality check. Until you and I create our own universe and everything in it, we should probably slow our roll by telling God how to run his. Woo! I shared that with somebody this week, and they're like, you're really going to say that? I'm like, yes, because I need to hear it. Because it's so easy for me to tell God how I, I think he, he should, he, you're making the wrong choices here. I would do it differently. But God is God, and I am not. God allowed Joseph to be sold into slavery. But it wasn't to any people. He chose the Ishmaelites to be the UPS drivers to Egypt. It wasn't just any nation. God didn't randomly pick a nation. God doesn't do random. 
God does strategic. God has divine strategy that I'm putting you in this country for this season. God didn't put him just any household. He put him in Potiphar's household, knowing that there's probably going to be a hot wife pursuing him. God knew and allowed him to go to prison. And up to this point in the story, Joseph has been in prison for 12 years. We refer to those as lost time, lost opportunity. But God, in his sovereignty, it was according to his prerogative to allow that or design or cause those things to happen. Why? Because God had a bigger plan. He saw the bigger picture. Joseph couldn't see it. Joseph couldn't understand it. God knew, I don't want this boy to remain where he is and be a favored son, a favorite son of a sheep herder. God had bigger plans for him. And God is putting his story in 14 chapters in the end of the first book in the Bible because there's so many lessons here that we struggle with, primarily with the sovereignty of God. I don't know if, I'm going off my notes, so this is dangerous. I don't know if you've been watching the, the, the seasons of The Chosen. Um, at first, it was hard for me to get into it. And then once I saw Jesus in season one playing with the children and communicating the children, it came alive, and I was hooked. And as a life group, we went Friday night to see episodes one and two of season three. Powerful. And I won't tell what it was, but it was really, he was displaying the sovereignty of Jesus and why he wouldn't heal one of his disciples when he had the power. Tears were rolling down my eyes and others in our life group when Jesus said, but one day you will be healed. And I thought of a number of people in our church family who have struggled with health problems for decades. And you don't understand why God, why your body, or, or why someone that you love, and why did you allow this? And it's hard for us human beings because we only see things through one dimension. But the character of God is saying an awful lot, even when we don't understand. God was divinely and strategically moving his chess pieces around because he had a plan. What this, this whole grasping the sovereignty of God, not out just a, a intellectual knowledge of it, but living it out by faith, is going to force us to take upper level uh, faith choices. We've got to choose upper, upper level faith choices. The first one is this, and I've said this before, is this. By faith, I've got to trust God's character when I don't understand his choices. If you understand the, 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 the nature and the character of God, yes, God is sovereign. God is mighty. God is holy. God is this. But God is very personal. And God says how much he loves us and he cares for us and he, and he captures every tear in a bottle. He chooses to do that. He, he, he's an intimate, personal God. And you have to, if, you, if you believe that, that Jesus loves you, that God loves you, 
Not just know it, you have to believe it. If you believe it, that you're gonna, under, you're gonna lean into his character that my God loves me, he knows everything, he has a plan, I'm gonna trust him. Even when I don't understand what he's doing. Even though I would make different choices. I'm gonna trust his character when I don't understand his choices. The second thing I said this too is I'm gonna choose to believe that although God is silent, he is not absent. Ever felt you pray, your prayers hit the ceiling and drop back on your head? I've been there. I've gone seasons in my life where God is silent. And I'm like, God, I, I got to teach your word and I can't hear from you? God was stretching my faith muscles. And, he, and I didn't like it. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, Pastor Chuck Swindoll says that we, at times we all go into God's waiting room. And I said, well, my waiting room has, has now has, has padded walls, all right, because I go crazy when I have to wait. God, tell me what to do. I'll do it by faith. And when God is silent, I struggle greatly. But I have learned to choose that although God is silent or seems to be silent, he is not absent. He is with me. He promised he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Now let's jump back into Joseph's story. He's in prison, he's been there 12 years. One day, something significant happens in the palace, something significant that is gonna completely alter the trajectory of Joseph's life. And then one day, that one thing happened that changed everything. You know what that is? That one thing, I'll talk about that next Sunday. If I have to wait on God, you have to wait till next Sunday. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for taking 14 chapters to primarily focus on Joseph and what you did in his life when he was 17 years old. But God, you had a plan, you had a purpose, you're sovereign. God, you know who in this room or watching online that is, they're really struggling with this whole sovereignty of God theological truth because they don't feel like you are in control of their life and they don't understand why you have done things or allowed things to happen that brought them pain. But God, I pray that they would take encouragement through the story of Joseph that you are sovereign. You're way beyond us. You have multiple 3D divine dimensions that see, know, hear, feel things that we are incapable of because you're God. Help us to trust you anyways. Lord, use this, this message today to be an encouragement to someone struggling today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. We say amen.